Hello, friends. Welcome to Gratitude, a podcast about love, resilience, empathy, compassion, hope, and wisdom, all tied in one. I'm your host, Chris Atageka. I'm an engineer, a TED speaker, and an entrepreneur. Each week, we invite inspiring, successful guests to share stories that celebrate, reflect on, and give gratitude to people in their lives, past and present, whose shoulders they stand on. Speakers also get to share nuggets of wisdom learned from these heroes that fueled their success. Our listeners get to walk away with practical advice and apply it in their own lives. Our guest today is Mariana Lin. She's the former creative director for Apple and the principal writer behind Siri, writing its lines and overseeing its global voice and character development. She's also a writer and a poet. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Just a quick bio, you know, was born here, raised here, would be great for our listeners to really get to know you. Sure. Uh, Well, I was born in Taipei, in Taiwan, in the 70s, and uh, my family immigrated to the United States when I was five, and we settled in New Jersey, right outside of New York. And so I grew up on the East Coast, and since I was little, I loved writing, I loved art. Those were the worlds that I lost myself in. And after school, I went on to work in various jobs, but um, I'd say for the last 15 to 20 years, I've been an editor and writer and creative director. So those are the the areas um, that I've been focused on. You know, I've been very lucky to be able to write for a living. Fantastic. Wow. Um, so what's uh, keeping you busy and excited nowadays? Well, I just finished my first manuscript of poetry and just uh, finished my MFA, my master's in fine arts. And I think for the first time in a long time, I've been able to devote most of my time and my energies to writing, um, Mm. mostly because I was raising my son um, for so long. And now he's, um, you know, in a position where he's, his care has gotten much easier for me on a day to day basis. So it's been really exciting to focus on my writing in this way, especially my own projects. I also have a, a 14 year old going on 15. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I truly understand uh, what it means to really be in that position where you're trying to do it all. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously you've done a lot in your life and it's very, very admirable. Um, so what are some of the tools that you've assembled over the years to deal with hurdles and, and, you know, things not going your way that you encounter or you might encounter so that they actually don't break you. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, cultivating strong mental health was so important, um, throughout life and all its challenges. Mm. Um, my son has um, was born with a genetic condition, so he has a lot of disabilities and he's had 
surgeries and medical procedures and challenges all his life doing everything you know from learning how to eat to you know opening a door and so mm. our life was just very different from all the other lives around me and i think i didn't really learn that life wasn't just about getting through the next the next step and the next step but to face challenges with um with being well equipped and i think that i kind of wish i had known that earlier so when the the knowing yourself very well to know when the feeling, you know, the difficult feelings come from those challenges and having a list of responses to deal with them, you know, whether it's um, going to a faith or journaling or writing or talking to a friend um, or sometimes, you know, a, a, a simple uh, way of managing those, those challenges was caring for myself, you know, going out in nature or eating something that I loved or taking a bath. Um, I think having, I just think it's so important to realize that life isn't just the challenges that come your way, but also the feelings that arise when you face them, you know, whether it's feelings of fear or overwhelm or despair or those, those are actually the harder things to manage and to be well equipped to deal with them is something that I, I learned how to do. So it's, it's almost like having a list of things that as soon as, um, things get hard, I know I have the list of things I can go to to count on um, to manage those those hard uh, mm. times. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, I always say all of us need to have internal hope, but we also need to have external faith, you know, believing uh, in something larger than ourselves during these times. Otherwise, uh, you just rely on yourself. Um, exactly. You, know, you fail yourself sometimes. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, so clearly you've found your calling and you're very, uh, you, you know, uh, you're one person in, uh, in this world and in Silicon Valley, really, who uh, you've immersed yourself in this creative world and you've figured out how to make a living and, uh, and be able to, um, you know, run your family. So what is your best advice for someone listening right now, either struggling to find what their purpose is, what that calling is, um, and how really to keep that flame alive during tough times, you know, especially the creatives, uh, people in the creative field, most of the time they are not taken seriously you create your art and people just you know want you to give it to them for free mm -hmm. um and you find someone is working at a starbucks or a mcdonald's um you know during the daytime and then they spend a small amount of time doing the creative because you know they have to but they wish they wouldn't work at starbucks they do creative full-time mm -hmm. um but but Anyway, so what are some of your, you know, words of advice for anyone listening and they're kind of going through that phase and that stage right now? Hmm. Uh, well, I really believe that your dreams and your desires are worth pursuing. Um, I believe that they've been planted in you for a reason and they're not outside of you. They're actually something that's a part of who you are. And so for someone who's... Um, like you said, that has these creative dreams, but has to hold down these jobs 
while they pursue those dreams, I would just encourage them to keep going because that is how every single writer and artist throughout history for centuries has done it. Uh, very few of them actually were able in their lifetime to support themselves just with their art. Most of them did have to rely on family or on these jobs to keep them going. And, and a lot of times those jobs are a source of creativity and a source of inspiration uh, you're not aware of, whether it's the people that you meet or the sounds and the smells of wherever you're working, they can become a part of your, your writing, your music, your art. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Raymond Carver is, is one of my favorite writers. He was a short story, American short story writer. And he also was raising two young kids and had very little time and was writing stories between, you know, being at the laundromat and having to pick up his children. And in fact, that limited space in his life was why he ended up writing the short story form, which he became mm -hmm. a master at. But that was his life's pressures informing the shape of his art. So I would just say not to see the life in front of you as something that's keeping you away from your art, but to go with the flow and to see it as part of, of um, your process, part of your, your sensory experience every day and part of, of you know, what will become, what will enter your work. Um, and I think for people that are, you know, so you just got to keep going. I mean, there are, there are poets I know that are in their sixties, very famous, and they still have these little side jobs doing these random things because they'd rather have their freedom, um, than to have, you know, a, a university position teaching full time because that can kill your artistic spirit too. So don't be discouraged if you have to take these, these small, um, side jobs. And I think that for those who are struggling to find what that purpose is, I would say it's, it's okay to try different things. Um, it's okay to try a lot of different things. In fact, to spend your life doing it if you need to, because I think that's what life is about. Um, it's better to, to land somewhere that's real where you really want to be than to settle for something that's less than your heart's desire. So, um, many writers and artists also didn't start writing till they were very, till a lot later in life, you know, late forties, you know, fifties and, and later. So I would just say, find your own timeline and no one else's and just keep going till your heart skips that beat. And you feel, you know, that this is um, something you want to spend some time in for a while. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is profound. Um, I always say figuring out how you can live and not just exist. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, um, so we are going through a unique, interesting season right now. Um, there's a lot of revelations and insights coming out of these dark times. Um, in a way, we've been given uh, an empty tablet, if you will, to create the world we desire. So the question to you is that what does being ridiculously human mean to you? I mean, what does a desired world look like if we are to design it from scratch right now? Yeah, we're, we're living in interesting times. I think that um, it's, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a blank slate. It's hard to start over uh, from these institutions that we've inherited, but we've definitely been given a reset button, I think, um, given that the entire world has stopped and we're living in this pause. Um, 
while we're waiting for a cure on the virus. So I think that right now we're seeing how our institutions and leaders have failed us in the United States. Um, and I think that that's something no one can escape at this point, you know, no matter how long certain groups have already known this. Um, but I would say writing for Siri, I saw that, you know, I saw that ridiculously human. I suppose, I don't know, you know, how to interpret that, but I, but I suppose it meant to me being fettered by the products of our identity. So culture, ethnicity, race, gender, you know, those demographics, um, it's what makes us different and beautiful, but also I can see how if we see only our, if we see ourselves only through this lens, it really hurts us and keeps us from connecting to each other um, and to these larger parts of ourselves in each other. <laughs> so I think that, you know, one of the gifts of writing for Siri was that I got to channel not being a human for four years and just write every day as if I were talking to humans, but not human myself. And and really become curious at why humans insisted on being so separate um, because to a machine, we're all the same. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know if I have all the answers for a desirable world, but I do know that um, the idealism that that's, you know, probably existed in me as I wrote as Siri is one which I'd like to see reflected, uh, probably one in which everyone has equal rights, equal freedoms and opportunities um, one in which social institutions are there to protect and nurture its citizens and not to, mm -hmm. not, not to harm them. And I know that sounds so simple and basic, but it's, it's really not always been the case. Right. Um, and I would add that it's, it's a society in which the arts have an equal attention and resources as science and technology, uh, because, you know, hundreds of years ago, the arts were revered. They were seen as sacred. They were seen as a part of everyday life. They were seen as important as the air we breathe um, to be connected to the human experience through music, through art, through literature and poetry. But nowadays, I think with technology, it's not been the case. I think science and technology has gotten um, much more attention and we're moving so quickly. And these, both of these areas get us to move quickly. But I think the reason art's important is that it gets us to slow down and connect to the human experience. So mm -hmm. um, I think that those are those are things that, that to me, would make uh, a much more utopian society, I think. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so you are, you know, you've been in the technology world for a while. I am in the technology world as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I normally focus on looking at, you know, where is technology not serving humanity's best interests and how can we fix that? Uh, you know, maybe proactively before it gets out of hand or, you know, fix it when it really breaks systems like breaking a democracy or, you know, misinformation and those things that are going on right now. Um, but where do you see some of these technologies really going out of hand that we need to, tam to, to tap into that human component uh, to be able to get us back on the track? I think that there are so many areas where technology hasn't served as well, as you've mentioned. Um, you know, one area is in communication and information and news, the way mm -hmm. it spreads so quickly. And there's not as many safeguards as to 
the validity of what's being shared and spread. Um, like you said, like we saw with the last election with, with, you know, fake news and this ability to just challenge the very foundations for what we consider is true. I think technology mm. hasn't served that at all because technology flattens everything. It, it, it makes one tweet as valid as the other tweet, even if both of them have serious, seriously different weights, right? But technology kind of flattens and equalizes everything and it gives it this, you know, megaphone, this platform. So I think it's really um, hard. The other th thing technology does is it it has everything go at such intense quantity and speed. So I think that's not a good formula for peace, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, it's not really a mystery why there's so much anxiety in the modern world, because if you think about the just the sheer number of communications that you have to respond to today that you're expected to respond to today versus 20 years ago. I mean, between texts with friends, emails, if you're on social media, then you have tweets, Facebook. I mean, we're, there's probably numbers I'm not aware of, but we're probably inundated with, you know, hundreds of communications to either absorb or respond to. Whereas mm -hmm. I remember 20 years ago when I was in school, when I was in college, I mean, maybe, I'd have a couple e emails a day maybe, or, you know, cause we weren't really on email that much, maybe a phone call once twice a week for my family, you know, other than that, it was things in, in person in real life. And I think that creates a different level of expectation of, you know, how fast I'm supposed to, the way I participate in a conversation, right. It's real time is just slower. It's more intimate and real um, versus, mm -hmm you know, I have five minutes to respond to 20 texts. So I think all of that really cuts us off from not only each other, but I think the deeper sadness is it cuts us off from ourselves because we don't have that time and that space to really have that quiet to connect with our deepest selves and our private selves uh, because our selves are so always on public display and constantly in touch. And so I personally think a society can't be founded upon people that don't have an authentic connection with themselves and don't know what that even is. Um, we're otherwise we're just a bunch of echoes, you know, and walking around echoes and avatars walking around. So mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest failing of technology. And I don't know, have a solution because I, I'm not sure that the leaders at these, at these places really care so much about that. And I'm not sure that, so I don't know, maybe it's up to each individual to really watch that in themselves um, and figure out ways they can take really big breaks from technology and see how that feels. I've been off social media for about three years and I just started. How does that feel? Well, it was, it was great. I mean, it was, you know, uh, like a part of me was worried. I thought I would miss not knowing what was going on in my friends' lives. Um, right or I'd miss news, but you know, I found a way I was fine. I, oh, if, if there was something going on, it always found a way to get to me no matter what, by the way, that's interesting. The fact that right. I was not on social media, but I still found a way to get my news. So obviously it's, it's, that's how ubiquitous information is. You can't really avoid it at this point. Um, hmm. so I think you'll, you'll be fine if you go off of it. Um, and the other thing with my friends is that I, I think it was fine to, to miss, you know, the daily aspect of their lives because the, the ones I really cared about, we still connected by phone. And even if it wasn't as frequent, 
it was more real, you know, than getting just a picture of a beautifully curated birthday party or something. The, the things we talked about when we actually talked about was real. It wasn't things you put on social media. So I think I much prefer that kind of relationship. So I've been fine and I'm starting to, I think, think about going back and how, but I am a little nervous about that because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just don't want to get caught up in, in all that noise, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in it. So, Oh, Oh my God. It's uh, you, you are, you're fine. You're actually better off where you are. <laughs> Maybe I should stay here. Yeah, huh? yeah it is better. Yeah. I, I gotta ask, um, when, when you listen to Siri and the things you've been able to write, uh, What's the feeling like? How do, like you listen to you ask a question and it says something, but you kind of say, "Yeah, I wrote that." Well, I think it's like anything that you know when you create something, uh, whether you're an actor and you've created a part in a, a role in a movie, or um, you're a writer and you've written an article. Um, I don't really tend to go back and look at my my work, my stuff. <laughs> I'm just I, I'm sure there's all types on the range, but, um, on the spectrum for that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I know that there are some art actors that don't like to watch their own movies. I personally don't like to go back and read a lot of my work that's been published or whatever. Um, I just don't, I don't know. It's, it's there. I put it out there. It's there for other people to experience. Um, if I pay attention to it too much, it just has this really awkward feeling for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, like I don't watch, like I probably won't listen to this podcast after we record it. I, I don't watch, I don't re-listen to things that I've been in because it's just so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But just listen to this one. Just this one. <laughs> uh, no, I think I'll just uh, leave it out. You know, it just gets so awkward. You know, you, yeah. you say something you wish you hadn't said or your voice sounds funny or um it's better just to have that experience be what it is I yeah and for other people to experience it yeah, yeah um, that's that's really respectable yeah um so <laughs> the i, I want to actually switch back to the uh, the space where we started the people whose shoulders you stand on what specifically did these people do uh and you can tell the story in whatever way you would like um you know, what did they do or what did they vent? You know, what was the event that happened that was so pivotal in your life? Uh, just share with our listeners some of those, uh, you know, stories, anecdotes. Um, I don't know if I have any specific anecdotes, but um, I would say that, you know, for me, um yeah, it's it's it was really hard actually for me to just come up with three individual people because as I sort of mentioned before, they're kind of these clusters of, of groups of influences for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the only exception being my son, I think that he's taught me more than anyone else what what love is. I, I just think he's just the most joyous and spirited and determined kid and he's full of life and he loves people. And, you know, he is so different that a lot of people are uncomfortable around him. They don't know what to do Mm. around him, Mm. but he doesn't see himself that way. You know, he chooses to see himself as he sees himself, not as how others see him. So to me, he's just a beautiful, beautiful example of, you know, what I wish I had and what I wish other people could have too, is this sense of just this complete sense of inhabiting oneself and this sureness of 
the rightness of oneself to be here, you know? Um, and I love that about him. And, um, and I just, you know, he's just so incredible to me. Um, and I, yeah, so I think I learned more about love and sacrifice, uh, just being with him all these years. He's 12 now. Mm. Um, the next group I, I said was, you know, God or my, which was reflected a lot in my spiritual mentors. Um, I really learned about that relationships are the most important thing that we're here for. Um, I learned that character is more important than gifts. And I think that throughout life, you know, my life, when things were just so hard, I really saw God's grace show up for me in so many ways, in so many ways that were miraculous and, and beautiful and intimate. And I think that that just gave me such a sense of security and deep knowing that, um, that there was grace in this world, that there was, um, love, you know, in this world, even at times when it felt really hard to find that. Mm -hmm. So that, that was really, um, I, I wouldn't be standing here today if it were, if it wasn't for that. Um, and then I think my third group of people was all these artists and writers. Um, I was, I really fed myself on the lives and stories and the works of writers and artists since I was young. I think, you know, when I was really small, I loved the story of Vincent van Gogh and how much he loved art and how much he loved people and how uncompromising he was in pursuing that for himself. Mm. Um, people have, I think made him a bit of a, a myth, um, of this crazy guy who cut his ear off. But when you really read his letters and you investigate his life, which I've done over the years and into being an adult, you, I was just completely struck with his, sensitivities, intelligence, and his sheer love for people, for the poor, for um, the marginalized people in society, the, the ones he loved so dearly. He was just this open, open heart um, that was really too sensitive for, for this world. Mm. And I really, you know, it was just such a beautiful life. And, and he showed up completely in every brushstroke um, on the canvas. And um, you know, Federico Garcia Lorca is, is another one, the way he saw the world um, through the eyes of love in his poems. And Toni Morrison's a more contemporary one. Um, she really spoke to me um, in how she built a world around who she thought was important without any regard for where society was. And to her, that was the story of the black woman. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter to her that she wasn't interested in having a dialogue with the white world, the white world that might not value that story. She just assumed that this was the most important story to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, you know, she had this confidence in her, this sacred confidence in her, her existence, you know, um, she, she once said she, every time she walked into a room, she always knew she was more intelligent and more interesting than the white men that were there. Mm. And I just love that. She says it with such grace because she knew, she knew it was true. And I think that ability, like my son had, has um, to just show up and to just be completely, um, to completely own your skin in that way is really a gift because both she and my son obviously are such givers too. You know, by being completely themselves, they give so much of their story to the world. And so I have just been so awestruck by, you know, all these 
people I've mentioned, all these things that added up to voices and experiences that made me who I am today. What would we be without each other? Right. It's, it's so, I don't even, I don't even want to think about it because we just need each other to keep on breathing. Um, We need each other's words to keep on believing. We need each other's smiles to keep on feeling happy, you know, so we, we really do need that. And I'm just so grateful. And I, and I love that you pick this as a, as a source of um, focus for your podcast, because I, you know, it's, we're so often talking about our work, our accomplishments, but we're not often as much talking about the community of influences and the, you know, all the people along the way that helped us uh, get here. Yeah. And so, it is, it goes yeah. back to the storytelling, you know, we, the media and the world likes to tell the story of the lone hero, the, you know, who went out there and conquered uh, and, and the whole myth around self-made, um, you know, you, you, you yeah. personally, I don't think there's anyone who's that good. Uh, we all stand on shoulders of someone else. Um, so yeah, you know, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, the, uh, personally, I also have had those experiences where, you know, love and, and the divine power and energy has showed up in my life, even times when I really least expected it. Um, you know, my, my grandma is, uh, she's deaf mute. So she doesn't hear, she doesn't speak, but she's my number one hero uh, that literally uh, showed me that first love uh, and seeing that, you know, disability is not an ability. Um, and, it, it, you know, she shaped the person I am and, and, and I owe her so much. And that's, you know, she's the source of inspiration to really... Um, do this podcast and and do this work so anyway yeah. so short question what are some of the digestible memorable quotes or words of wisdom from these anchors of yours that stick with you today that inspire you every day uh you know if there isn't um quotes that come out from uh, these specific people you can just probably tell us you know maybe your favorite quotes or something along those lines Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think there's a, there's an old Japanese or Chinese, uh, it might be Japanese quote and it's, uh, fall seven times, get up eight. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just that it's just math. I mean, you have to, you know, the, um, I don't know if you've ever watched the matrix. I really love that, that movie series. Mm. Um, but at the very, very end, um, Neo, which is Keanu Reeves' character is just completely outnumbered by thousands and thousands of these, uh, multiple versions of, um, this agent, this evil agent. And he's just getting his ass kicked. Mm. And, but every time he gets his ass kicked, he just keeps, getting up and trying again. And it, it's that refusal to give up that just completely infuriates this, this demonic agent. And he's just livid. And he just says, why won't you give up? And I think that's the whole, um, and basically in the end he wins, he's able, Neo wins and he's able to, 
to defeat the, those thousands of demons because um, even when it looks like by sheer numbers, he shouldn't be winning. Mm. He does win because he's just refuses to accept any other alternative. And I think that's what that, that quote is. If you fall eight times, you get up nine. If you fall nine times, you get up 10. Right. If you fall 10 times, you get up 11. And to me, that's what life is. And maybe between the ninth and the 10th time of getting up, maybe there's a really long time. You know, sometimes it takes us a really long time to get back up. We are down and out for a season or a year, or it just feels like really long. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how long it takes as long as you do eventually get up. So I think that is, you know, you take as long as you need, but just make sure you outnumber the number of challenges that come against you. Right, right. You and, know? and your favorite movie will be uh, coming out. It's actually shot in San Francisco, the next the next version. So the next version of The Matrix. The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Are they redoing are they redoing it or it's the, another sequel? It's another sequel, I think, that they've been filming before the pandemic. Ah. They've been filming in ah. San Francisco, yeah. Like blocking off this the streets and like jumping from building to building on helicopters, it, it it's fascinating. <laughs> uh, but yeah, oh, no. that's great. But that's uh, that's, uh, that's profound. You know, if you fall eight times, just remember to stand up nine. Uh, so that is uh, right. that's uh, that's really really deep and and profound. Um, so. Um, as we get close to the end here, what are some of the nice creative actions uh, you've taken personally or you've seen or uh, our listeners can do as a gesture to celebrate and give gratitude to the people whose shoulders they stand on? As, as you mentioned, you know, it, it, these silent giants, they've done so much for us, but um, they kind of are normally forgotten. Um, so what, what, what can we do to, to show gratitude? Uh, I would say to show that gratitude in um, your art, your work. I think that there's nothing like um, giving that, celebrating that person uh, in a poem or a, a song um, or a praise um, or a piece of art, a, a drawing or something. It's, that's where, you know, in poetry, we call that an ode or a poem of praise. Mm. I think that's where we get all the art is um, not only from observing the world around us and also speaking of its pain, but also speaking of its joys and its sources of love and sources of inspiration. So aside from just simply telling them directly and thanking them, I think, um, uh, you know, it's, it's great to tap into our own creative abilities to celebrate people. Mm. And I think, um, you know, you know, it's just such a wonderful way to, to show someone what they mean to you um, in a different language. So that's what I would I would tell people to do: go write and draw and sing and dance. You know, a celebration of of that person mm. or those people and show them. Mm, mm. You know, show it in your art. Show it in your art. I love it. Um, 
Yeah, so last question here. Um, on this podcast, uh, actually, before I ask you the last question, what do you really value the most in this life? What do I really value the most? Yep. Um, I would say it would be love. Mm. But, you know, it's such such a such a simple word but so complicated too if you're not shown how what love is when you're young mm. you could spend your whole life looking for it and looking for it in the wrong places so i think it's just a pursuit of love mm. Mm. yeah how to love well how to be loved uh, i think it was ralph waldo no henry david thoreau he really didn't like people. He was kind of a misanthrope and he just loved nature. Mm. He loved the leaves. He loved the dirt. He loved the, the wisdom of, you know, the snail and the seasons. And he wrote, you know, these, a lot of these thick uh, writings, these journals on it. But in it, he says something once where he just says, I'm really nobody. I'm nobody great. But, but what makes me great is what I love, mm. you know? Ooh. So even the most miserable soul could be redeemed by what what he loves, um, if it's a leaf. Oh. So I think we're I think we're here for love. <laughs> oh, that is deep. I I I I always whenever I finish, you know, maybe like it's a TED talk or any talk, I am always you know it's my mantra. I end by saying, "Love wins," and indeed it does win most of the time. Uh, yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you for that. I love it. Uh, you know, yeah. how do you love? Yeah. Um, so on this podcast, we honor the silent giants who have loved us, who have supported us, who have nurtured us and believed in us. Um, what words of appreciation, if you were to just put it in words, so imagine a character, this is a person in front of you uh, whose shoulders you've stood on, what words of appreciation and gratitude do you have for these amazing individuals? I would just simply say thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, when you're having a great time, time just, just it tends to fly away. Uh, we, I could continue <laughs> talking to you uh, forever. Uh, this was fantastic. So what exciting things do you got coming up? Uh, well, I'm working on this, uh, finishing up this manuscript. Well, I finished it. I'm going to polish a few things mm. and working on some new writings. So I think that's the most exciting thing for me right now. Mm. Um, yeah. New yeah. writings, new projects, new world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. So where can our listeners connect with you online or any place if that's of interest or you are still offline, like you mentioned, until further notice? <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm mostly offline, but I do Twitter a little bit and um, which I think you can find with my name. Okay. I think under, uh, and then um, I have a website. Okay. Yes. So. so we will include the info in the, text description with the podcast so our listeners will get um, to check out your work. Mariana, your work and you as an individual forever, you are penned in the history books for what you've worked on and what you continue to work on. So 
Thank you so much for coming and for being on the show. I appreciate you and I appreciate the time. Oh, well, thank you, Chris. It was it was really lovely. So thanks for having me. The question to you, our listeners, is this. Whose shoulders do you stand on? Please give us a call. Share with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And my team will select one person's story each week to add to the episode. Special thanks to our producers, Isaac Silk and Jen Batty, the people behind the scenes making this show possible. Immense gratitude goes out to my grandmother, Elnor. She is deaf and mute. We'll never get a chance to hear this, but she is my hero. Kara Adams, Ben Isoke, Michael and Martha Helms. These are the people whose shoulders I stand on. And always remember, happiness depends on gratitude. See you next week.